Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by musician and fellow podcaster Jenny Owen Youngs. Hello, Jenny. Oh my gosh, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I hope I do a good job. It's great to have you on the pod. Um, I would say I'm a big fan of your music. I've just been listening to your new EP, uh, It's Dangerous to Go Alone, which was a joy because I like your music. I think it's great. I also love video games. And this was a meshing, <laughs> a combining of the two. You are exactly my target market. <laughs> uh people who would say yes to me and yes to video games the games you picked are all sort of stone cold classics uh where did where did the idea come from it started with uh the super mario brothers inspired song which is called another castle because i was in the middle of like some significant personal and professional shifts you know big ones uh that were very um you know, tumultuous. And uh, there was just like, a lot to get through. And every day was like a roller coaster for like a really (laughs) long period of time. And somewhere in that chunk of time, I started just like periodically, in my mind's eye, seeing the level end scream from Super Mario Brothers when you get through, you know, a castle. And then, and then you are informed, Mario, uh, that, you know, Thank you for your efforts. Thank you for your sacrifice. You've done a great job, except this is not the castle uh, that the princess is in. Our princess is in another castle. So you have to keep going. And I I just like was like thinking a lot about, you know, or maybe projecting a lot (laughs) on Mario um, ideas about fortitude and stick-to-itiveness and like the relentlessness of life. Uh, and I, w- I was just thinking about him a lot at that time and trying to, you know, apply that sort of like principle to my brain and life and think about like, okay, I just, you know, this was hard and it's not over, but on to the next thing kind of deal and, and ended up writing the song, which made me just want to write a million more video game inspired songs. I love themes and prompts and i was like so happy to have kind of delved into a story a game that i like have loved for a long time and to like thread out these emotional components and like make them into a song i love like finding that material that like sort of like raw material in unexpected places you know uh so it was it was a fun, really fun challenge to to do that with. When you say what happens in games out loud, sometimes like I'm a small plumber, I'm walking around this, you know, these castles, <laughs> jumping on life-size mushrooms with teeth who want to attack uh... me. I, I just love when you describe what's happening out loud, and it's kind of accepted because they're so popular. People are like, yeah, been there. Yeah, well, it's also like uh, he's a man on a quest, um, and 
there is a woman in danger and he, you know, that that is his goal to, like, save this woman, to restore justice and order to his land, to defeat Bowser. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's just, like, a big uh, turtle shell looking guy <laughs> who wants to do evil stuff and you have to do whatever is in your power to stop him. Uh, we've we've all been there. It's all very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it it takes these like these to me like very relatable core elements and then like you know dresses them up in the things that like make our imaginations go wild and and make us laugh and smile and and be delighted and and want to spend time in that world. Outside of your career as a musician. You're also like host of two of the biggest television podcasts out there, uh, Buffering the Vampire Slayer and, and uh, Veronica Mars Investigates, uh, co-hosting with uh, Kristen Russo and, and Helen Zaltzman, uh, respectively. How did these, these pods come about? I was listening to a lot of television recap podcasts um, around like 2014, 2015. Among those shows were such treasures as uh, A Cast of Kings and A Storm of Spoilers. Not one, but two Game of Thrones podcasts co-hosted uh, by the great and powerful Joanna Robinson, uh, as well as the X-Files files, RIP. And I just like was having such a blast listening to these shows. And periodically I would uh, harass Kristen, who was at the time my wife, and say like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be so fun if we made a podcast about Buffy wouldn't that be great and she would immediately shut it down and be like I don't have time for this and also I don't like podcasts uh so <laughs> uh and I just like kept pestering her and kept pestering her and at the beginning of 2016 we moved to Los Angeles and it just like kind of created a little bit of a little bit more space in our lives and she was like okay okay we can start we can start doing this and I was like okay and also just to make it a little more complicated why don't we make sure that we write a song for every single episode of the show? And she was like, that's a terrible idea that you will regret. And I was like, couldn't be me <laughs> regretting that in the future. <laughs> uh, we'd been making the podcast for a few years and we were invited to PodCon, which is where I was introduced to Helen by our mutual friend and sort of the puppet master of many of the greatest things that happened in my life, Rishi K. Shearway. Rishi put together a cookie party and invited a bunch of cool people, which is where I met Helen and Martin. Then a little while later, maybe it was like six months later or something, the Veronica Mars season four reboot was about to happen. And Rishi was like, oh, you and Helen should make a podcast. And I was like, just rap i was just finishing watching veronica mars like seasons one through three for the first time and i was like helen's really cool that would be fun so so rishi i think is the answer to the second part of the question speaking of puppet masters helen put us in touch on email about doing this episode today yes a long time ago and then you were very patient uh because if there was gonna be a sci-fi thriller slash horror movie um, that I was the central figure of, it would be called Inbox, you know, because I'm very afraid of my email. But we got here, and thank you for your patience, and I'm so happy that we are here together now in this moment. Two of your podcasts revolve around long-running TV shows, but 
do you have time in between you know writing songs being a musician and 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 the podcasting to watch movies are you a movie fan in your spare time i was i was and then there was like a long i think with these sort of like the rise of streaming services i think like a lot of people my brain has like warped into a more episodic sort of like shortened attention span it's like i'm like i couldn't possibly watch a movie i just i have to watch three episodes of an hour-long show in a row instead but um but my wife jess is much more cinematically inclined like i'm happy to watch a movie when i'm watching a movie but i so rarely like can get myself there but but jess is like all about it so i've been watching actually way more movies in the last couple of years than um than for the last like bunch of years before that so i'm i wouldn't say like a cinephile but like i'd like to be totally get that sort of mental hurdle that you have to jump through sometimes to want to watch a film over a tv series i always feel like i should watch films because i host a film podcast Mm -hmm. and uh and i feel like tv is the easy way out sometimes because i i love returning to characters and situations i know and like during the pandemic, I did a Frasier marathon because it was so nice to just slip into another 20 minutes of Frasier and Niles goofing around than yeah. decide to you know go through Netflix or whatever and look at all of the films. There's something too, though. Now, now you're making me have this thought, which is that like I talk about television at length, you know, in like a public way, you know, and so I've started to think about things um, more critically than I did when I just watched TV because it's fun. But like we're in the seventh season of Buffy, which is widely regarded as perhaps the worst season of Buffy. And like seeing the way that uh, things have shifted and and the ways the show is maybe like not doing its best work makes me kind of really appreciate movies where you don't have to like deal with like the showrunner changing after three seasons or like you know a different director on every episode and and having to like really work towards that continuity and and find a way for three five seven years to to keep these characters uh drawing you in and also like not letting you down a movie two hours sounds like vacation now that we're talking about it (laughs) When we were talking on email and I sort of reached out with, uh, you know, with my one question, uh, which under 90 minute film would you like to pick? What went through your mind? How did you how did you settle on what we're talking about today? You very generously sent me a great resource, which was like a list of a whole bunch of movies, 90 minutes and under, which I'm so thankful for. Uh, the one that I like missed, the Helen suggested and I it just like flew from my mind which is, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, which, you know, I was like, I was just listening to the episode that you did about the animated Hobbit. uh, And I was like, dang, this person's like a Tolkien scholar and they like know everything. I don't know anything about the movie. (laughs) I haven't even watched it yet. I just kind of like scanned through the list of movies that you sent and uh, I picked out two and you were like, okay, this one's kind of like a moody tone poem. And this other one would be like probably a hoot. Uh, and the one that you said would be a hoot is called Cube. The walls are closing in when six strangers find themselves trapped in a surreal and seemingly endless maze. They soon discover that their mysterious captors may not be as dangerous as their fellow inmates.
Awakening from their daily lives in a maze-like structure, the six prisoners must work together to find their way to safety. They quickly discover that each possess a unique skill that will aid them in their task. However, deadly twisted traps and their own escalating fear may be their undoing. Oof, that's a dramatic bit of blurb on the back. What I love also about this edition of the film has a quote on the front from director David Cronenberg. Ruthlessly beautiful and compelling. I think that, that probably brings, you know, that's, that's about the story. There's about six people wake up in a mysterious structure. We don't know why, they don't know why, and we go on a journey with them. Spoiler, the structure is a cube. Uh, it's a cube made up of a bunch of smaller cubes. <laughs> So you had seen this, you said you, you'd seen this like a while ago for the first time. When I was a teenager and I was buying my own DVDs, you know, I distinctly remember seeing the DVD in a blockbuster or something and it spoke to me. The, the, the picture of a man with his face sliced off yeah, on the cover yeah, yeah. <laughs> spoke to me. Yeah, I am um, coming in fresh. I just watched this for the first time, but I, I chose it because it was something that I always knew existed. I like, you know, I I read about it when it came out. I always like had it kind of bookmarked as like something I'd like to see. I had it sort of sort of stored in the same place in my mind as like pie or something. As like something that I would feel bad after I figured I'd feel bad after I watched it, but I was like still very curious. Also with a heavy emphasis on maths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just apparently can't get enough mathematics in my films. I mean, obviously, there are so many films that are under 90 minutes. It was a nice surprise when uh, you mentioned this film because it was something I'd like heard of and it's never come up. No one has ever suggested Cube. So I, I sort of perked up. I was like, oh, my God, that's a brilliant choice. Wow. Well, I can sort of like see on the one on the one hand, after now that I've seen it, I can see why nobody would suggest it. But I can also <laughs> see a lot of great reasons to suggest it. I feel like there are so many things happening contained inside of this this little 90 minute guy it feels like in a lot of ways it feels like a kind of a blueprint or like a prototype for some of the most popular horror slash thriller stuff over the last like couple of decades you know it feels like the a predecessor of uh saw and squid games like all of that sort of tense competition or like puzzle i think i read like the phrase puzzle gore as like a subgenre <laughs> and i think like i don't know i don't know if you went uh deep wiki or perhaps you have more reliable sources than wikipedia but i went to town and was like really interested to read about how like small the budget was and how the entire thing is shot the entire set is one and a half cubes that they like change the color of like each individual uh, cube that they kind of enter as they're like moving through this maze one will be blue one will be red whatever and they're just kind of like lighting the thing from the outside there's natural the natural sound of a train line that was running nearby where they were shooting that they like incorporated into the plot i feel like a lot you would also probably know a lot more about this than me but like the the uh lens and framing choices that are kind of like used to make things feel like different from shot to shot or like f make you feel like really kind of claustrophobic a lot of that like that all like really delights me the one thing that i feel like makes the f the film feel less 
awesome than maybe it did at the t- at the time is maybe the performances maybe the performances are like a little intense <laughs> maybe like a little more intense than they need to be i don't know how how did you am i allowed to ask how you feel about it i love films that are inventive and sometimes it's hard to see if it's a big very expensive blockbuster made in present day it's hard to see you know what was real and what was a cgi thing what was added in later what i like about cube and films like this is it's all like tangible stuff in the room you can see like they are literally on a set of a cube it's you know it's like a closed four wall type thing for the most part i think the illusion is is real and it does feel like they've constructed this giant labyrinth the the, the story idea leans into actually realizing it on a short on a small budget you know you just need six actors you don't need lots of location work they're all wearing the same literally the same costume this like prison type uniform um and the boots the very important boots yes. uh, for the story uh, so there's all these sort of tricks which i i really like but i also agree like i think the the idea is probably better than the realization in some respects i think the script maybe could have done with another pass some of the dialogue is quite intense quite early on uh, it like sort of maybe lacks a bit of nuance and i think the actors very early on get to like 11 and they have nowhere else to go for the rest of the film yeah yeah i made up a drinking game i only i only came up with three rules so far so maybe you have some more that we should add for my next viewing of cube but what i've got so far is uh, every time quentin says holloway which is pretty much going to kill you're not even going to get a chance to do any of the other ones because quentin says holloway so many times anytime quentin gets a uh, really disproportionately mad or violent and uh, anytime levin realizes there's some kind of issue with the math that she's been using she needs to adapt or update the math in some way you definitely don't need any more rules than that to get blackout drunk but if anything comes to mind, do let me know. I don't imagine there's uh, anyone's fault of this for this film. So I think we're pioneering uh, this for Cube. Um, <laughs> the, the story is these these guys meet and they basically walk through or crawl through a series of cubes to get to the end of the cube. So, so some things do happen a lot. So it lends itself really well to a drinking game. Mm. Each cube is, well, most of the cubes are booby trapped with something. And, uh, and uh, one of the characters comes up with an idea to use their boots. They're all issued these you know, sort of very sturdy looking boots uh, to chuck into the room and try and set off a booby trap. So I think every time a boot is chucked, let's have a let's have a drinking game. And I also think there's a point in the film where everybody's boots have been used. So when we're all bare feet, then you have a celebratory drink as well. Down with yes, shoes. Cheers. <laughs> uh, I think that's an a, a achievement. Most of this is shot sort of in camera and is, is tangible, but it was made in the 90s. Some of the CGI in the film is not good. There's some sort of laser type work happening in some of the, the the things so i think maybe some any you know celebrate the 90s artistry of cgi uh, with a little cheers as well yeah are you are you referring to when like a zillion sort of long skinny razory lasery pokey boys uh come That's shooting one. out from every possible direction i'm like they looked like metallic to me, which could just be a failing of the CGI or, you know, not. But I'm just like, where are those? If if there's just a cube on the next, on every side of this cube right now, where are those retracting to? Like, how are they being stored? What's go? What are the mechanics? I guess it's none of my business. 
I think all valid questions. Things like that can pull you out of the movie. Um, yeah, wait, wait a minute. Where are the <laughs> spiky boys going? But I think really, for me, big points for the cold open. I feel like it's extremely effective, economical, gruesome. Like it tells you everything you need to know before we meet our core cast of characters and it's there's no mistaking <laughs> what's going on i did look away after mr cold open is cubed now if you get cubed in a cube inside of a larger cube how many <laughs> there's got to be a mathematical term for that i i did watch a few years ago the they adapted uh, speaking of video games uh, they adapted the resident evil games into a series of movies with mila jovovich and one of the traps in the first one of those is is exactly the same. Um, really? They're walking through a haunted house type scenario. They're trying to get into a secret lab and Colin Salmon, great British actor Colin Salmon, walks into a corridor and triggers a trap and he also gets cubed by lasers. No! <laughs> and how would you compare the the quality level like in terms of the visuals sort of believability in Resident Evil. I, th I think Resident Evil does it a lot better, I have to say. Not a great film, um, but the uh, they really nailed the cubing. Right, 11 times 59. It's not prime either. So that room is safe. Wait, wait, wait. How can you make that assumption based on one prime number trap? I'm not. The incinerator thing was prime, 083. The molecular chemical thingy had 137, the acid room had 149. You remember all that in your head? I have a facility for it. Reverend, you beautiful brain. Boot it. Do you like this this sort of format of, you know, like, I guess going on a mystery with the characters, you as a viewer knowing just as little as, as the people on screen? Yeah, I think this, I think this form is really fun. And I really like that we don't leave this movie with really any answers. That's, I feel like, rare, rarer and rarer as time goes on. I feel like people really feel obligated to explain and, like, really just, like, make sure you, the viewer, know exactly what's going on. They don't want you to have to, like, think too hard about anything sometimes, it feels like. Uh, but I, I do like that this is just sort of, like, open-ended. I think what makes this concept feel so good and cool is that like there's tons going on like there's tons that that's happening between the characters and from room to room to room and trying to solve the mystery that doesn't make it feel like you are trapped in one thing you know i i guess that's that's kind of a way that it makes it feel different from an episode of television where like people are trapped say in an elevator because even though they are trapped i guess like in a larger structure they're on sort of like they're they're in motion they're on a quest they're like actively trying to move forward and like solve problems so it feels like it has more movement going on maybe than your classic sort of trapped in an elevator or a cave or 
what have you. I think it is a bit of a trope, like people trapped in one location. Uh, I think M. Night Shyamalan made or produced a film of people trapped in a lift. I always think it's kind of fun. When it's done well, like Hitchcock's probably like the, the master of this, doing things like Rope, where it's people all in one room, all in one continuous take. And like, there's a reason people have been remaking this for years and years and years and, and doing their own take. Because it's cinematic and it's fun. It's entertaining. And I think us as audience members, we like being part of the game. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's something, maybe there's something to the idea that if you know as the audience that everything that's going to happen is going to be confined within a physical space, maybe there are like things that can happen that aren't physical that like couldn't happen in a limitless space or like a movie that feels more like open world. I don't want to die. I'm just being realistic. You think they'd go to all the trouble to build this thing if we could just walk out? You think they would have left us clues and let us beat it so far if there wasn't a way out? You think we matter? We don't. Put us out of your misery so we can get on with getting out of here. Well, you're not getting out of here. Yes, we are. No, you're not. Yes, we are! There is no way out of here! Would you recommend other people seek the movie out based on your experience? I think it's a really cool artifact of cinema. It would never be made the way that it was made <laughs> today. I guess there actually was a 2021 Japanese remake. And then there is a, I think, American remake currently in the works. So who knows what will happen? But I, I think there there is some stuff that uh, that would not uh, that does not stand the test of time. In particular, I think the way that uh, the character Kazan is treated and written is uh, kind of a bummer. There's definitely some some ableist stuff that I think would bum folks out. But if you can suspend your feelings around that and suspend your feelings around some really cranked up to 11 overacting, I think it's it's. It's cool. I think you can see it's like the uh, it's like a single celled organism, right, of that has like evolved into other movies you've seen, if that makes sense, which I, which I think is is very cool. It's hard to go back and see something like that for the first time, but it's also I think really there's something really cool about it. Yeah, some things haven't dated well, treatment of certain characters and you know, how certain people interact with each other. You sort of, I guess, have to try and watch it. <laughs> Even though it was like, it just, in some ways it feels ancient, but it was made in like 97. But then actually, you know, representation was really poor in the 90s. And the 90s feel so recent to me, but they were a, like a lifetime ago. <laughs> and things yeah. have moved on a lot uh, since then. Um, but like the 90s was the decade I discovered cinema. So that, that always feels so like fresh and contemporary. But it's not, you know, it's some, some stuff is really dated. And this film does have a lot of that, uh, both in terms of the writing and, and the characterization, as well as, you know, the more superficial stuff like the visual effects. But you're right. If you can sort of put yourself in a mindset to think about the context, maybe, um, you know, I think there's still lots of uh, lots to enjoy about this film and admire. Yeah. Oh, also, I feel like I kind of like mentioned him in passing, but the score by Mark Corvin, who went on to score that Resident Evil film and also scored The Witch, among many other things. I think the score is creepy and cool and also like a little, I guess, funny in its datedness way. It's like exploring horror minimalism, which I feel like has become 
it also feels kind of like the prototype for for horror score. There's this one particular <laughs> this one particular figure that happens a bunch of times that is like just a person going cha 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 which which cracks me up but also like you know trying to do the time travel in my brain thing back to 1997. I could see it feeling like very fresh and creepy without also feeling like, okay, I hear a person going cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. In the moment, it's quite effective, but you're right. I think the score adds to the, the sort of the illusion of the scale of the, the, the film, the, the, the cube and also like the production value of the film, the cube. I, um, I, I also think like it's in the sound design and partially because they were shooting so close to a rail track, but... The um, it's things are always constantly moving, like off camera. You can sort of hear things, and it it just sort of again makes it feel like they are in this cavernous labyrinth, not in like one single cube set that they constantly keep changing the lighting on. Also, did you know that only there's so if you haven't seen the movie, there is a door in the center of each wall, and a door in the center of the ceiling, and a door in the center of the floor of every cube. So <laughs> there's only one working door in the whole. In the whole build, they only bothered oh, to wow. to make so they must be also flipping, flipping the whole construct, right? I, yeah, it seems like just making all the doors work would have been less work. But then you'd need the you know you'd need to build more half cubes, I guess, if you wanted uh, to get like the drop down and and the climb up and all of that stuff. It's a door that they open a lot. Uh, it's like a bit of a, it's like a submarine hatch type door. It's quite involved when you want to do that. And there's lots of close-ups of characters opening that door. And there's these really like heavy metal sound effects that make it sound like they're moving this great weight. The actors don't look like they're ever putting that much energy into moving that door. No, they look very relaxed. <laughs> it they're looks chilling. like quite a light plastic you know, sort of thing. And um, that, that sort of came up on our rewatch. Just like, oh, yeah. That... <laughs> I, I can hear the like the sound library. But it was 97. It was a low-budget film, you know? And it made loads of money as well. Like they, uh, This was a huge, huge success. Big box office success. It got released in you know across the world, which is really hard for an independent film to do. Mm-hmm. So hats off to them for that. And it spawned a sequel, Hypercube. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, it's being remade. It was very remade recently in Japan, and it's being remade again in the states. So it's uh, you know it's it's not bad for a twenty five or whatever you know year old film. Yeah, yeah. And like just for just for uh, ratio, like because we are we love math for. <laughs> this episode of your podcast the budget right was $350,000 Canadian plus $350,000 worth of favors so 350k cash 350k favors and it the box office was about nine million dollars it seems like the trend of the world is that like it's there's more television now than there's ever been right so I'm, I'm guessing that like people have found ways to sort of like make uh make things for less money right and and spread a company's budget a little bit more widely to make more and more and more content for like our content uh insatiable world so i'm guessing that movies maybe have like kind of the same thing going on i don't know if this disparity between budget or like this you know this profit margin this level of a profit margin is normal by today's standards uh but for like an independent horror thriller sci-fi thing that (laughs) takes place in one room i think that's like a pretty wild take i hope everybody involved in making this movie had points 
You do sort of hear those like real success stories in cinema, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, also under 90 minutes, um, has a similar thing. It was made for such a low budget and it went into such a huge profit because you know people just wanted to see it again and again and again. And the ceiling they had to cross was so low. Yeah. It sometimes comes up in the news, doesn't it? Like, this is the highest grossing film of all time. It's often a film that costs, you know, maybe like half a billion dollars to make. So each yeah. billion is great, but it's not like a huge payday <laughs> they're just recouping their budget for a lot of those those ticket sales thinking about this movie coming out in 1997 i could see it really being the kind of movie that you see and then you're like oh i have to get i have to go back and see it and i have to bring these two friends that i know love horror and maybe like don't know that this movie exists because it has it's independent and maybe has a smaller marketing budget or whatever uh i could definitely see word of mouth at this time like really doing a lot for for this movie and people just being so excited to share like this new fresh take on the genre thank you so much jenny for bringing cube to the podcast um as part of your commitment as a festival programmer at the 90 minutes or less film fest uh i can give you a cinema i can give you a print of the film but i'd, I'd love to know where you'd like how you'd like to dress the venue up uh, you know, to get the audience immersed in Cube, if you had a, you know, like a bit of a production budget. The audience has been drugged, kidnapped, stripped, and redressed in outfits matching uh, what's worn by the characters in the film. They wake up in a cube-shaped cinema, obviously. Uh, all of the seats are just little cubes. Yeah, and then the the if you if you go if you want to go out to concessions to get anything, you have to be very careful about the path you take because you might get sliced up or burnt or get some acid thrown in your face. <laughs> you gotta be very careful going to get popcorn. Uh, I just want to make it as immersive as possible. I think the uh, makers of the cube would would uh, would salute that effort. I think maybe maybe as a bit of a flourish, we don't. There's no currency allowed at the screening. If you want to buy a concession, you need to trade a boot. Yes. Boots are currency. <laughs> the boots, honestly, listeners, the, the emphasis the film puts on boots um, is, is is huge. It's the most valuable asset in this game. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to see the movie to believe how important boots become. So if you want to trade a boot for a popcorn, that's totally your choice. If all of the ideas we've had on the show, you know, a cu cinemas are often shaped like cubes anyway. I think this is a doable one. Yeah, yeah. Just got to get some some lighted walls installed, which you could probably do pretty cheap. And uh, the, the most expensive thing is probably going to be the labor of drugging and kidnapping, you know, a cinema's worth of individuals. <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, it, you wouldn't be able to sell tickets to this, I guess. Like, how would you... How would how would that work? Uh, it's gonna have to be subsidized by all the other films in the festival. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you attend one of the other screenings, and you may wake up actually in a cube. Yes, nailed it. This is a business plan which will succeed. Sometimes when we put on our, our screenings and we talk about having an in-person element, I wonder if uh, you know similar to what you do on, on on your podcast, could you write a song about Cube? Has Cube got songwriting material in it? Do you think? Oh, yeah, I think there's definitely I mean, I think Worth would probably be my my go to guy because he is the most tortured. You know, he is responsible for one piece of this puzzle. He designed the outer cube. <laughs> oh, my gosh, we, we didn't even mention the outer cube. We've got 
a cube within a cube, and then that's sort of suspended uh, inside of a much larger cube shell. There's a real Russian doll thing going on. But yeah, one of the prisoners is the designer of the outer cube. Yes, uh, yes. And we don't trust that guy. <laughs> and he's he's really big on the life is meaningless. I I bear the weight of a guilt you can never understand kind of vibe. that would be where i would at least start digging for songwriting material maybe there's an ep in in cube based movies or, <laughs> or, or something out there maybe that's a future project yes 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 uh but it's kind of magical like you know like the old-timey cinema is you know you have like a live piano score or or like a uh, you know, someone playing an organ or something as you would walk in uh, to the screen. So I think we could bring that live element back before the movie, maybe. You you wake up from your slumber, your drugged slumber in your new clothes, and you just hear an original composition about the film Cube before watching the film Cube. You wake up from, from your drug-induced slumber, and I'm just standing in the corner going, cha, 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 into a microphone. This is going to be a magical screening. Uh, thank you so much, Jenny, uh, for, for bringing Cube into the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It has been such a pleasure. If people want to want to find out what you're up to or, or, or check out some of your, your other projects, where should they go? Well, you can find all of the things I do via my website, JennyOwenYoungs.com. And you can find me on just about any social media platform at JennyOwenYoungs. And I do highly recommend uh, searching for Jenny's music on Spotify, uh, listeners, or buying a lovely vinyl, which I'm a proud owner of. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends every recommendation helps you can contact us on our website 90minfilmfest.com and on twitter and instagram at 90minfilmfest the podcast is produced by me sam clements and louise owen it's edited by louise owen with sound mixing and additional editing by luke smith our music is by martin ostwick and our artwork is by sam gilby we'll be back in a couple of weeks We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.